I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thank you for listening. On today's show, I'll revisit my interview with actor Mike Farrell, best known for his role as Captain B.J. Honeycutt on the popular 70s television series, M.A.S.H. My conversation with Mike Farrell takes us back to the days of M.A.S.H. with some behind-the-scenes stories. He's also an author, writer, and producer. We'll talk about some of Mike's early days as an actor and some of the many projects throughout his career. The upcoming two-hour television special, M.A.S.H., the comedy that changed television, will feature new interviews with Mike Farrell and fellow castmates Ellen Alda, Gary Berghoff, Jamie Farr, and Loretta Swit. The special will feature never-before-seen behind-the-scenes footage, photos, and stories, and will honor and remember late members of the cast and crew, including Wayne Rogers as Trapper John and William Christopher as Father Mulcahy, with clips from the series and rare archive footage. MASH, the comedy that changed television, will air on New Year's Day, Monday, January 1st at 5 p.m. on Fox. Here's my conversation with author, producer, director, writer, and actor, and well-known TV surgeon, Mike Farrell. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be with you. I want to step back in time so that our listeners will get to know a little bit more about you. You were born in Minnesota. We won't go back that far, but you were born in Minnesota. Your family moved to Hollywood when you were little. You would attend Hollywood High. What brought your family to Hollywood to begin with? Gee, I suppose the this was in the early 40s. I suppose it was the old adage the streets in California were paved with gold and a person <laughs> could make a living. And uh, my dad was at that point uh, willing to make the move. They just came west. Had a lot, had a lot <laughs> and tried to make a mark for themselves. And what was his profession or what did he get into? He worked in show business in some capacity, right? He, well, he was a laborer, but particularly in the later years, he was a uh, worker in the studios, uh, motion picture and television studios, so mostly motion picture studios at that time. Wow. Hollywood High School, was that like any other high school, I'm guessing, but maybe some of your classmates would go on to work in the entertainment field? Indeed. Um, it was very much like any other high school as far as you know. I was concerned. It was a, was the school to go to because I lived in West Hollywood at the time, and some of the people at the school at the time were involved in the business. But I suppose the early days for me, I was in grammar school with a, a young girl uh, named Natasha Gurdon. Oh, <laughs> yeah, who I had a big crush on, and um, mm-hmm. you one can understand why when you understand she grew up to be Natalie Wood. Yeah. I read that you wanted to be an actor, but you were always quite shy. How did you move past that and even start the path of going to auditions? What what got you there? My dad worked in the studios. He actually brought me home an, an autographed picture from Natalie Wood one time. Oh. <laughs> but the movies were sort of all around us. We lived in West Hollywood, which is a butts Beverly Hills, and at the market we'd see people we recognized from the television or from motion pictures. There was just this magic about it that was very, very attractive to me. Mm. In the years since, I've <laughs> analyzed it a little more deeply and <laughs> and uh, discovered that I, like many people, wanted the attention and the affection that I felt was coming toward those people and the the love and the acknowledgement and all that stuff. It was just something that I thought would be great to have a career in show business. And it was a kind of quiet dream. I was too shy to say anything about it to anybody, certainly not 
anybody in my family. And when I grew up and got out of high school, I joined the Marines, did a stint there. And when I got out, I sort of was looking at what I would do in my life. And and there, there was always this thing inside me of wanting to be an actor and dreaming about being an actor and thinking that somebody would tap me on the shoulder and say, I'll Atlanta Turner, you're just what we need. <laughs> um, and uh, a buddy of mine and I had gone in the Marines together, and when we, we got out, he um, he was working on a, at a gas station on the Sunset Strip. And there was another guy who worked at the station, got to know. He was a very nice guy. He had come all the way out here from eastern Canada to become an actor. And... Uh, hmm. He and I talked about, well, yeah, wouldn't that be great? And I kind of confessed that I'd always had this dream. He said, well, Mike, well, maybe you better do something about it. And I said, I said well, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, I'm in a workshop, an actor's workshop, and where people come and, you know, you, you learn oh, the oh. trade and you understand, you meet people and you, you get involved in the business. And even if it's only in the early learning stages, it's the beginning of the way to move up in the industry. So I got my guts together and I went to the workshop that he was part of and signed up and sat in the back row, just terrified. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the teacher would say, come on down and do this and do that. And pretty soon you're working on improvs and you're working on things. And a little by little, I, be, I kind of warmed up to it and realized that it was something I could do. And then that workshop turned into another workshop, which turned into another workshop from mm. which a play developed. And in that one first play, an uh, agent found me, picked me out, and he said, I think I can get you some work in the industry. And I said, gee, that would be thrilling. And, and he, you know, got me a few, like, <laughs> they went that away roles. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Funny. No, sir. Yes. You, know, you, you do a line. You do whatever. But it, you learn not sure. to fall down in front of the camera, and you learn what the whole process is like. And it was uh, it was great fun, I must say. Let me reintroduce my guest: is producer, director, writer, and actor Mike Farrell. In 1975, you would join the cast of Mash as Captain B.J. Honeycutt. And I remember thinking, as a young viewer, when I was watching. How will he ever fit in with the departure of Trapper John, played by Wayne Rogers? But you nailed it. In that first episode, you joined a very well-oiled, well-established cast. Were you thinking, I got this, or uh, have I got this? I was at the time, I had done first a soap for two years, and then I'd done a show with Brad Crawford, and a series, and then I'd done a series with Anthony Quinn, at Universal that involved a contract. Um, so when, when the Quinn series failed, I assumed I'd be let go, and I wasn't. I was under contract. And I hadn't known much about this show at 20th Century Fox called MASH, but uh, a friend of mine and I were going out to dinner one night. I went to pick him up, and he said, um, oh, oh, I can't leave right now. I've got to watch the end of this end of my favorite show. And I said, what's that? And he took me inside. And it was MASH oh. he was watching. And it was the first time I'd ever seen the show. Oh, my. And it's engraved in my memory that it was Gary Berghoff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the radar character was so incredibly wonderful. He yes. was lovable and nuts and uh, sweet and way too young and naive to be in the circumstances. And the war is going on around him. And I'd forgotten what the scene held, but it was that. It was... 
it, it sort of personified Gary, and it personified for me the show. I thought, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that people are seeing this kid in this wartime situation trying his best to do what he had to do and, you know, risking his life in some ways. And Anyway, I just went knocked out by it. Hmm. And at the time, the Tony Quinn series had ended, and I was at Universal. I was doing guest appearances in various things, and they were looking for a series for me. The producer called me, and he said, uh, I have a show. I'd like you to read the script and play the lead in this series. And I said, can I read the script? And he said, sure. And I did, and it was a kind of silly, typical three-camera situation. Right. And I said, gee, thanks, but no thanks. I, he said, you're turning down the lead in a television series? And I said, I guess I am. And it's not something I want to do. And he said, uh, why? And I didn't want to tell him. I thought his show was silly. <laughs> so I said, well, uh, it's not MASH. And what I meant was it's not about anything. You know, it's not, There's nothing at the core of this series that people would care about. The substance there. Exactly. And MASH represented all of that. Mm. I'll, I'll never forget that because a year later, my agent called and said, they're talking about the possibility of Wayne Rogers leaving the show and they'd like to talk to you. Would you want to go over there and meet with them? And I said, would I? <laughs> so I went and had a meeting with uh, Gene uh, Reynolds and mm. Larry Gelbart and uh, Bert Metcalf. And we talked and I said, I, I was actually just as nervous as a cat. I said, you know, I've been around the business a lot. I'm stumbling in my answers to you because I so admire the work you're doing here and so appreciate it. And they said, look, we can't, we don't know. We don't know if Wayne is going to, if we're going to be able to resolve this contract with him or not. Mm. But we, you know, want to know if it's something that would interest you if if we are needing them to replace him. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, two things. Um, Yes, and I would not want to come in and step into his boots and be the Trapper John. I think that would be a big mistake. Right. And they said, no, 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 that's not, of course, we, we think that would be a mis- mistake as well. We have in mind a, um, a different character, a married man who actually has a child at home, intends to be, you know, a, a faithful husband, not like Trapper John and, and Hawkeye mm-hmm. or womanizers. Right. How do you feel about that? And I said, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Portraying fidelity in a national television? <laughs> I would be thrilled to be able to do that. And, uh, and then I went home. Uh, who knew? And uh, sometime later, I got a call asking me if I would do a, a screen test. We want to test with Alan, oh. see what the chemistry is like. Right. And they actually had three actors that they uh, did this with. And um, I remember driving away thinking, Mike, it's supposed to be a comedy. You might have thought about trying to be funny. <laughs> and I went home and got two telephone calls. One was, you got the part. Oh. And the other was uh, from Alan asking if I would meet him for dinner. And I said, yes. <laughs> and we had, we had just an extraordinary evening together with him talking about the show and what it meant to him and what he had the hopes and dreams he had for it and and that's an example of what it was like to be on that show everybody cared everybody loved doing it everybody understood the the opportunity we had to really do something meaningful 
and uh, and, I, and I went to work fearing that because it was reputed in the industry that they were a very close kind of family, and Wayne had left, and I was going to be the uh, interloper who came in and right. replaced their blood brother. And I walked on stage nine on the set Monday morning, and first person who walked up to me was Gary Berghoff, welcoming me, thanking me for coming. And Loretta, and Bill, and Jamie, and uh, Larry, they were embracing and warm and fun, and it started out wonderfully and never stopped. That's so nice. Now, I told you I have interviewed Loretta Swit, and she said the very same thing about the cast and working with her, all the guys. Your character didn't seem to compete with Alan Alda's Hawkeye Pierce. You were more understated and held your own in a very strong and quiet way. So you played it very differently. I don't know if that's how it was written and that's how you addressed it, but you did and it worked. And you would get in your zingers or you would get in, I think there was one episode where the character was going to play a practical joke on Alan Alda's Hawkeye Pierce and didn't. And that was the whole joke is that he never did it. And, and in the meantime, his character's going crazy, waiting for that hammer to come down, and it never did, and it was so cool. But my point is you played it very understated and quiet and strong. What Thank do you, you think? Well, first of all, there was never any doubt in my mind who the star of the show was, and I thought my job was to be there and play somebody who was his friend, his tanto to his, his Lone Ranger, you know. The, yeah. The, and, and, and yet equals, but without a challenge. So it became it became what we are today. We just became friends. Mm. Let me reintroduce my guest is Mike Farrell, actor, producer, director, writer. We're talking about MASH. I'm going to ask, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but what did BJ stand for? Was it a storyline in one of the episodes of what just BJ stood for? It, it, it was a storyline. Um, and my answer, BJ's answer, was when everybody asked me, um, what does BJ stand for? And I said, anything you like. Hawkeye just kept going after him. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine him settling for just that answer. <laughs> no. Uh, and the story they wrote, the thing they wrote was uh, that his mother's name was B and his father's name was J. But I don't think that's, uh, I said that was just a, <laughs> that was a clever answer, but. It wasn't the answer. The answer is anything you like. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Well, working on MASH, you directed some episodes and wrote some as well. How was that for you? Oh, it was like everything else. It was, you know, the first day I was there, the day that everybody came up and greeted me, we did something that I had never had the experience to do before, which was to sit around a table and read the script. And at the end of that, Gene, who was directing it, said, okay, page one. And I looked at him. We <laughs> we had just done that. I, I was a little curious. What what do you, what do you mean? And he said, "Oh, Mike, this is where we go through the script page by page, and we want to hear from you if you have any questions, any problems, any thoughts, any suggestions." I tell you now, I felt like I'd died and gone to heaven. I've never been in a situation where the directors and producers and writing team wanted to hear from us, and that never stopped. It was a it was what I call a creative community. And it encouraged us to be our best and to be thoughtful about it. And one of the time, one time I went up to Bert then and said, I've got an idea for a script. And he said, oh, that sounds interesting. Why don't you write it? Wow. <laughs> I said, 
whoa, hey, you know, I've done some writing, but I'm not sure it's on the level of what these guys are doing here. And he said, well, you know, we've got a writing team, and we'll, you, you, you write it down, and then we'll come into the room, and we'll, we'll talk it through. And, and I said, fabulous, and did. And so I was encouraged to write that and a few others. just joining us, you're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. I'm speaking with actor and producer, director Mike Farrell, well known for his role as Captain B.J. Honeycutt on the popular television series, MASH. All right, well, I want to talk about the finale. On the finale of MASH, each of the characters leave the MASH unit on a different mode of transportation. You leave on a motorcycle. I kind of liked it then when I was a young girl that you got the last word, and I mean the last word by um, the goodbye in the rocks on the ground. I know it's been many years since that day on the set, but I'm sure you've talked about this before, but uh, maybe your thoughts on that for our listeners on that last day, that final scene when your rocks say goodbye to, to Hawkeye. Well, that was Alan's genius to have the one of the characteristics of BJ is that he wouldn't say goodbye. He kept saying throughout the episode, as you may recall, he said, kept saying, no, we'll see each other again. This isn't goodbye. He couldn't face the idea that this was, in fact, the end of this relationship. So we played it. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done as an actor. I remember Bert was directing one scene and Bert met you. And he said, stop. He said, I, I can't, <laughs> I've never been faced with a situation where I have to ask actors not to cry so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we were just, it was a sea of tears. That um, was the day I was carrying around a box of tissue. <laughs> Alan teased me until he had to come over and borrow some. <laughs> mm. We ended the show. We uh, had sat down, a bunch of us together, and said, we think this is the time for us to go out and not let some network executive in two or three years say, oh, oh, um, I'm going to pull the plug. Right. So what we said to the studio and they said to the network, and nobody was happy, was um, that uh, we wanted not only to end it at the end of this season, but we wanted an end-of-the-war episode where we could then say goodbye to each other and goodbye to the audience and thank you. And um, they said, no, we can't do that. Um <laughs> I remember a studio executive came down and sat in our little room with us and said, you have to understand, uh, and then he was trying to make the case that we can't do the end of the war. And he said, do you remember The Fugitive? And we said, yeah. He said, well, at the end of the show, David Jansen wanted to find the one-armed man and make it clear to the audience Mm -hmm. that he wasn't the killer, blah, blah, blah. And he said, it killed the show in syndication. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was swimming. Mean, we were all stunned, and I looked at him and I said, "You know, it it, wow. it surprised you to, to learn that most people know the Korean War ended." Jeez. <laughs> he he looked at me and he looked at the rest of the crowd, and they were grinning at him. And he got up and walked out of the room, oh. and hmm. they came back to us and said, "We won't do an end of the war." 
half hour, we'll do a special, a two-hour movie. Will that be acceptable? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that'll be just fine. I'm sure the audience will love it and appreciate it. All right, we're going to leave MASH for now. You formed your own production company, Farrell Minoff Productions. This allowed you to produce the types of projects that interest you, along with your partner, Marvin Minoff. I want to ask about Dominic and Eugene. The first project you did under your production company, was that yeah. the first project? Now, I've not seen the movie, but I did look at the trailer, and I have a son with special needs. And I have to say, watching the trailer brought me to tears. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I was hoping you'd <laughs> ask of Dominic. That was a labor of love. When I was doing MASH, I got a, I got a, a letter from a guy, a former Marine, who said, I know you're an ex-Marine, and uh, if you'd read this, I, 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 nobody pays attention to what I've written, but I think it has some benefit. Would you read it? And I said, i got a lot of stuff to read, but of course, if you send it, I'll read it. Uh, but I can't tell you it'll be soon. Anyway, I read this long, interesting story about a guy going into the Marine Corps, and I wrote him back, and I said, look, it's a good story, and you're actually a pretty good writer, but I, I'd encourage you to maybe turn this into a book, because it's really not a motion picture. But if you ever have anything else you you know want to send me, I'd be happy to look at it. And he sent me the story of uh, Dominic and Eugene. It wasn't exactly the picture we made, but it was these two brothers, these fraternal twin brothers, who one of whom was had been brain damaged, and the other was a, this genius working on becoming a doctor. And um, I loved the story, loved the idea. So you went on to make the movie, and so we made the movie, and, and found in Tom Hulse, who got a Golden Globe, should have gotten an Academy Award nomination, but unfortunately the movie came out the same year as did Rain Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> got it, yeah. Yeah, and Orion didn't go for the release it needed, and so we oh, So that hurts that, that's for yeah. sure. Well, I, I plan to see it, and I look forward to, to watch it. Did you uh, know what you were going to do when you left MASH? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had ideas, mm -hmm. you know. But Marvin came to me with the idea of, of forming this production company in a couple of years after MASH ended. But I, I had some projects, but I'm not the kind of salesman that the industry is used to, I think. So he, he was better at that end of the business. So it was a good partnership there. Yeah. And we had we had a lot of fun. We made some wonderful pictures for television, and Marvin passed a few years ago, but it was a fun ride. Let me reintroduce my guest is producer, director, writer, and actor Mike Farrell. Let's talk about your one-man stage show where you play Dr. Charles David Keeling. Who is Dr. Keeling, and why was he so significant to society? Society knows little about David Keeling, unfortunately, but uh, we're trying to change that a little bit at a time. He's recognized as being the person who grasped and understood the implications of the rising temperature in the air, mm. particularly of uh, carbon dioxide and the count of carbon dioxide in the air today, uh, and that it was rising and it, at what the rising implied. Um, and he made the, the Keeling curve is that is, a, is actually a map uh, that demonstrates the amount of carbon per square inch uh, in the air around us. And uh, with that rising, it implies 
what we're now finding. Global warming was the term that the opponents uh, kind of uh, undercut, but climate change people seem to recognize now mm-hmm. as an acceptable term. And <laughs> around them, it's a little hard to deny that the climate is changing. Um, so the Earth is heating, and every scientist who deals with that phenomenon recognizes Keeling as the person who originally recognized and um, and articulated the concern about what the results would be. And the results are not not good unless we get it under control. Mike, before I let you go, I want to ask you one more thing. I threw on an old VHS movie the other day, and the movie was Brian's Song. And there was your beautiful wife, Shelley Fabre. I really enjoyed her in that, and then, of course, in Coach. And I just wanted to ask, how is she doing today? She's doing very well, thank you. You may or may not be aware she had a liver transplant right. uh, in 2000, and she is in very good health uh, and has survived and moved on from the liver transplant uh, wonderfully. But because of things like COVID, you have to be careful because her immune system is compromised because of the need for uh, anti-rejection things. So we have to be careful, but otherwise you wouldn't know that she was ever in any kind of physical danger. Have you ever seen the movie Brian's Song? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Wasn't she just beautiful? I mean, I'm sure she is still day, but she was just beautiful. <laughs> she was and is, and uh, and it was a fabulous film, and it's one of the proudest moments of her life. She loved being part of that. And you know, it's it's so old now, and I'm watching on an old VHS, and I'm still crying. So, <laughs> Mike Farrell, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed it. It was great to be able to ask you so many questions, and I appreciate you taking the time and answering them all for me. You've been very generous. Thank you very much. The television special, MASH, the comedy that changed television, airs Monday, January 1st at 5 p.m. on Fox. For more information about Mike Farrell, visit us at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show. If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you're thinking would make a good segment on Lifestyles. All you have to do is go to kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, check out our archives at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles or listen to Lifestyles on the KVCR app. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharita Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next year at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Happy New Year, and bye for now. Yeah, the